Luke 2. Luke 2. Who needs technology? Let's look in Luke 2 in our Bibles, shall we? Good old paper and ink. Love it. Luke 2. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. Different translations have different words in there. But on earth, peace. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Reminds me kind of the Lord's Prayer. That little part in the Lord's Prayer where, Lord, make it so on earth as it is in heaven. Your peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. I love the the way that even this proclamation that the heavenly hosts are making Glory to God on the highest and on earth peace. May his glory be reflected in peace on earth. Emmanuel, God with us, brings peace. That's what we are talking about today. We talked about hope. Pastor Aaron did a few weeks ago. Pastor Corey then did joy. Last week, Pastor Mike did love. And today we talk about Peace. And next week, Pastor Aaron will wrap up with Jesus, the greatest gift of all. The crescendo, we look forward to that. Emmanuel, God with us, brings peace. We have been talking about the fact that we are in this Advent season. These four weeks that lead up to Christmas, the birth of Jesus. This word Advent. If you break that word down, you have ad and then vent. Vent reminds me of event, and it's the same root word. It's something that happens, it's an arrival. The ad is leading up to, so it's an anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah, of King Jesus. We know what's going to happen because it happened 2,000 years ago. We look back on it, but now we get to look at it with greater anticipation than ever because we know what has happened. Jesus came. We know what he did. We study the things that we did. We learn more and more about what he did and the significance of what he did. And one of those is hugely peace. That's what he did and continues to do to this day. They say there are two kinds of peace. External peace and internal peace. External circumstances. All the circumstances. And I find it very interesting in leading up to this message, to this moment, the things that have gone wrong recently. And if you stop to dwell on in your lives, everything that's gone wrong this week could drag you down pretty quickly. So... Went and bought a new pair of pants yesterday to wear today. And so we had a dinner event up here last night. We threw the things in the the washing machine. And when I got home, I found out that our dryer just won't work anymore. Everything's all wet. Okay, I guess it won't wear those pants. Big deal. We hung the stuff up in the garage like old times. Get to church this morning, and the systems crashed. 
I'm, oh, okay. I was able to get here. That's good. Some car work. That's nice. I got my Bible. That's good. The beautiful visual that I had is gone. Pastor Mike was laughing at me. I said, I'll run home. I got a net at home I could use. <laughs> Whatever. Those are circumstantial things. And all of us deal with circumstantial things. And this is perhaps the, the things that test us the most. Really to attack or to try or to test or to assess the peace that's going on inside of us. Because that's the most important piece. That's the piece mostly we will focus upon. External peace, internal peace. So what's the definition of peace? I just love to define things because the more you dig into what something means, it helps in our understanding. The, the, the dictionary definition of peace, absence of conflict, harmony, a state of tranquility, or quiet. And that's good. I like that. That's correct, isn't it? Everything is calm. Everything, yeah, is still and wonderful. And it's peaceful. And we love that. But I like to, I'm going to go a little narrower than that. On a, on a definition for peace. I'm going to use a very scientific, literary term for peace, and that is same page. Being on the same page, we use that, we use that term. Or in the music industry, on the same sheet music or whatever it is. We're on the same page. Really what that's saying is we're agreed. We're agreed. We're together on this. We're in complete harmony and agreement Another word that could be used is reconciled. Reconciled, brought together in harmony. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? I just love the visual of that verse. I loved it. I love that verse. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Two people walking down the sidewalk, and one decides, I want to look in this store, and the other goes... That's not so exciting to me. I'm going to be over in this store. And this happens, men and women, doesn't it? (laughs) Sue wanted to go into a store yesterday. I said, I love that you want to go in that store. I'm going to sit in the warmth of our truck, and you go on in, and that's wonderful. And we are at peace, but we were no longer together. So there's a picture there of not at peace if you want to talk about absolute presence. We were totally in harmony with our plan. We agreed on our plan, so we were on the same page. But when she came back to the truck, now we were together, and it was a wonderful moment. It was a great reunion. (laughs) And she's even wearing the shirt that she bought yesterday. Very nice, hon. Very nice. This idea of harmony, being on the same page, being reconciled, it is played out all the time in all kinds of ways. I guess especially when it's at odds and not at peace. In, in the world of literature, in short stories, you talk about a story wouldn't exist if there weren't a conflict. There has to be a conflict, otherwise there's no story. Imagine a story about Kirsten and Jesse. Kirsten and Jesse. One day they decided to go shopping. They went shopping to Safeway to get their groceries for the week, and they loved their time together. They shopped joyfully down each aisle. 
agreeing on which bleach to get and which Twinkies to buy. And, and then they went to check out and they just were holding hands. And, it was, and then they went home and they were so happy about their shopping trip. That's not a story. That is not a story. Yeah, it's full of peace. A story has got to have conflict. And so writers in literature, whether they choose a true story, when I was growing up on the field in Brazil, uh, we used to get Reader's Digest, and I would devour, as a kid, Reader's Digest, especially the first thing I would read was, you know which one? Old people, you remember? Which one? Drama in real life. You guys remember that one? Because it was a true story about something that happened, an avalanche or a natural disaster, somebody got into trouble, and so forth. This is not in my notes, but many years later, I don't remember what year it was, it had to have been in the 80s, late 80s, I was teaching at Roosevelt, and I was teaching literature and English, language arts, and I, um, some of you were there that are in here right now. I invited you to, to, from your families, bring Reader's Digest in because it's such good reading. And so I would take an hour or a week or so, a half hour, whatever it is, and hey, everybody grab a Reader's Digest, choose a story to read in there, and then write a brief report on it. And one day, one of my students came up to my desk as everybody was reading away, he goes, hey, Mr. Lawson, this story takes place on the Amazon. I go, really, what is it? He showed me, and I was there in that story. My name wasn't in there, but a student of, I was a uh, junior in high school, and a senior had jumped off the boat from pretty high up, and it was waist high, deep water, and he hit his head on the bottom, broke his neck. And that story was in Reader's Digest, Drama in Real Life. I said, yeah, I was there. I saw everything and was a part of that story and so forth. Pretty crazy. I have no idea why I'm telling you this right now. <laughs> because there's conflict. When that moment happened, his name was, is Dan. Dan was able to stand up. He couldn't see and so forth. And the, the drama that took place to get him help. We were way up on the Amazon River, 25 miles from the big city. He ended up having to be flown to the U.S., to Dallas, and so forth. And they had to fuse his vertebrae that he had broken in his neck. Uh, so much more to this story. But it was, he had a miraculous recovery. Johnny Erickson, Johnny Erickson Tata, heard about it. Hers was the same kind of accident. She went and visited him in the hospital and so forth. It was an amazing story. That story would not be a story if those things had not taken place. But the thing with the story is you read that story for the outcome. Because in the, out, in the very end... The way stories go is they build and build to the climax and the big conflict and all this happens and it gets resolved. The main problem gets resolved. And what do we end with? Peace. We end with peace. It got resolved. That's where we go. The conflict, we deal with conflicts every day. But here's the thing. Emmanuel, God with us, brings peace. 
God's heart is to help us to reach peace in every circumstance that we face. Every one of them. Most of the time, he does not remove the conflict. He does not remove the storm, but he helps us get through it, through what he has done. I was going to show you a picture of the Amazon River. The Amazon River, where I grew up, and then we served, Sue and I and Christy, uh, for eight years, 22 years of my life there, is three miles wide where we lived. Uh, but we would take the high schoolers on a, uh, every semester on a camping trip 50 miles up the river where were these amazing beaches. And we'd go up there and camp for the weekend. We would get on the, the boat that we called the launch and go up and camp for a long weekend. And it was a glorious retreat for all of us, for the kids and so forth. Sue and I were the only chaperones on this particular trip. Why we ever allowed that to happen, I'll never know. 30 kids, high schoolers, and uh, we're up there. And the other picture that I have is a picture of the riverboat that we had. But in my office, which happens to be right here now, so I could go get this. This is the riverboat. Okay, this came straight from the Amazon, this little dude. And, but this is what the, our boat looked like, a little bit taller. The pilot house is right up here. 30 kids on this thing, and we're heading down the river. You go out in the middle of the river because that's where the current is best to get down river. We had to go 50 miles down. We had just left the campsite. Everybody's on board. We're heading down. It's a beautiful day, calm, miles wide where we are at this point because it's wider than where we live. We look up and the sky is black in front of us. There is a major storm coming right at us, coming right up the river. And when storms come from that direction on the Amazon River, they are wicked storms. Wind is howling, it rains, it's thundering and lightning, and it is nasty. The last place you want to be is on the river. The waves kick up, and they're huge. And we're going to this thing, and I'm going, well, we're going straight into it. Do we keep going? Is there a place to pull in to the shore, and it's all sandy beaches? And I'm going, we got all these kids on here. Lord, please, what do we do? As that storm hits us, it slams into us. And I'm going, okay, Lord, protect us. We've got these kids. If we were to sink capsize, the river is not like the strait in terms of temperature. The Amazon River is 83 degrees or something like that. It's a big old bathtub. But when you've got waves that are huge, waves big enough, our boat's 60 feet, to turn this thing over, who knows what's going to happen. And I was trying not to freak out. And I'm going, Lord, I need your wisdom. About that time, one of the kids, one of the high schoolers, whose parents live in kind of the area where we were at that moment, came and said, Mr. Lotz, there's an inlet right over there. We could go in there. So I'm processing that going, okay, that means we're going to have to turn because it was back here. We're going to have to turn broadside to the storm. And this thing's kind of top-heavy. And it rocks. I'm thinking, we got to go for it. 
So we got the word out to all the kids, batten down everything, grab stuff, because we're going to hit broadside, and that wind's howling through here, and our launch doesn't have all the, the, so many walls. It's mostly open, and everything is just going to be torn away and all that, including tarps and all that. So everybody grab stuff and turn. And so we turn, and we make it to the inlet, and we go into the inlet. That inlet goes back behind, and the, the beach goes up, so there's a hill. And this inlet behind there, we nose into the shore on the inside, and it was completely calm. Completely calm. I'm just going, Lord, thank you. Thank you. When you feel responsible for 30 young lives, and you come from that storm, this circumstance of no peace... And you shift right into a circumstance of complete peace. The kids got off the boat. They went to the beach to play in the waves and trying to surf. And it was a glorious, it turned everything around from potential terror to abject fun. That's peace. That's peace. It's circumstantial peace, but it's a challenge to your inner peace too when you face those kind of circumstances. Here's another way to describe peace. Missionary Jim Walton was translating the New Testament for the Muinane people of La Sabana in the jungles of Colombia. However, Jim was having trouble translating the word peace. About this time, Fernando, the village chief, was promised a 20-minute plane ride to a location that would have taken him three days to travel by walking. The plane was delayed in arriving at La Sabana, so Fernando departed on foot. When the plane finally came, a runner took off to bring Fernando back. By the time he had returned, the plane had left. Fernando was not at peace. Fernando was furious because of the mix-up. He went to Jim and launched into an angry tirade. Fortunately, Walton taped the chief's diatribe, no pun intended, I'm sure. And later, when he translated it, he discovered that the chief kept repeating the phrase, I don't have one heart. I don't have one heart. Jim asked the other villagers, what having one heart meant. And he found that it was like saying, there is nothing between you and the other person. Jim realized that God had just given him the picture he needed to translate the word peace into their language. To have peace with God means that there is nothing, no sin, no guilt, no condemnation that separates us from God. Peace possibly only through Christ. Examples of peace, practical examples of peace in our lives. Maybe you were in debt and you made the last payment and you're no longer out of debt. Ah, you're free. You are at peace. Maybe you're in a relationship that's been conflicted. There's been strain. There's been tension. Maybe it's completely broken. But humility took place and you were reconciled and you came back together and now you're on the same page peace. 
Your room was all messy. And you cleaned it up, and now it's nice. Wait till you see my office. (laughs) It's almost there. But it was not at peace for quite some time. Maybe you were worried that you might not pass that unit test, but you just found out you passed it. After being estranged from your grandchildren because of strained relationships, you're now together. A sweet reunion. I pray for that, for those of you involved in that right now. The brother and the little sister are no longer fighting over anything. They're playing together. Traffic flows at the speed limit. I find that to be peace. Sometimes in the world of sports, we record a game. Like I know somebody in here, namely Pastor Aaron, recorded the World Cup game, which may be done by now, and he's saying, please don't tell me because I'm going to watch it later. I find, and I love doing that myself, I find that if I know the outcome of the game, especially if my team won, I enjoy watching it. (laughs) There is no tension. I know we win. That's peace. Or when your daughter, who lives 2,000 miles away, because she's where God wants her to be, and we love that, comes home for Christmas. Hallelujah, my child. We are at peace. These are definitions or examples of peace, especially circumstantially. Two entities were at odds in one way or another, and then they'll come together and are in, in agreement. There's no tension, no friction, no opposition, Harmony. That is peace. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This is this idea of, of one heart, of coming together in one heart, like that tribal chief. One heart. The psalmist says, Lord, unite my heart. Align my heart with yours. This is inner peace. This is when inner peace takes place, when our hearts are united with God's. Emmanuel, God with us, brings peace. The peace that Christ brought is the deepest, most profound peace that mankind longs for. Because we were created by God to be in a right relationship with him. And as long as we are not, we are truly not at peace. Saw an interview recently, didn't see the end of it, but a girl was being interviewed and she was asked, are you happy? She says, no. He says, why not? She goes, something is missing. I'm going, there you go. That says it all. Something is missing. And when we are not united and we are not aligned with God's heart, we are not at peace in the deepest, deepest parts of our soul. Peace with God, that's really our focus. Peace with God, aligning your heart and your mind with God's heart. We know that we have a problem. Everybody here, we know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. 
Falling short of God's glory means we are not aligned. It means we are not at peace. We all have a problem. 6.23 of Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. And now we have a really big problem. Not only can I not measure up, can I be approved, is that the penalty for my sin is to die, to be separated from God forever. That, my brothers and sisters, is lack of peace. There is no peace. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is peace. When we are realigned, when we trust in Jesus Christ for what it is that he has done for us. Romans 5.10 tells us this. For if while we were, were enemies, enemies of God, this, my brothers, is not peace. To be called an enemy of God is to be not at peace for sure. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came in order that we would be reconciled to the Father because the Father knew, so did the Son, so did the Spirit, that we have a problem, that we are not at peace. Anybody who has not trusted in Jesus is not at peace. It is the deepest, most profound need that we humans have, and that is to be right with God, to be reconciled, to be at peace with the Father. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, we look at that and go, not me, hallelujah. And such were some of you. And such still exist. But, hallelujah, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the peace that Jesus came to bring. Emmanuel, God with us. We talk of, of, of peace in a couple different ways, even internally. One is our positional peace with God, our positional peace. This is our justification. When we trust in him, Ephesians talks about our position in Christ, seated in the heavenlies. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is the promise that we have as followers of Christ, those who have trusted in him and are reconciled to the Father, that our, our future is secure, as we say. We know where we are going. Oh, what a glorious day. Even when we have... When we have memorial services and funerals, oh, what a contrast between those who knew Jesus, know Jesus, and those who don't. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. But we know where our loved one is gone, has gone to, and is in the presence of the Lord, and we rejoice in that, that even in the grief underneath that there is a peace that God has given us because we know where we go and we will be reunited. 
That's our positional peace. It's our salvation. It's our justification. But then we have really our sanctifying peace, our daily minute-by-minute peace with God, our walk with God, aligned with God and His will each day, all day. But boy, do we have circumstances that would like to take us out. Even today, having no words up here created a distraction for us, didn't it? As we were being led in song, maybe you didn't look at the lyrics and, and, or you tried to find them and you couldn't find them. And we're carrying on and singing, but you're going, I don't know what the words are. It was a test, you all. It was a test. How were you doing in here? Did it irritate you? Before we ever were up in this building, we were downtown. Sue and I started attending in 84, 1984. Uh, and then this building got built, wonderful coming up here. But down there, you know the story that we had eventually the overflow room. The overflow room had this old TV in it. And so if you didn't get to church 15 minutes at least before the service began, you were condemned to be in that overflow room. <laughs> and it was so awkward. You'd be down there and just singing, and there's a few of you in here, and you're going, mm-hmm, I don't know. <laughs> i got to confess to you, at least one time we left. I got nothing to do in this. You know, my heart wasn't right. My heart wasn't right. It wasn't comfortable. And I'm not putting up with not being comfortable. I'm out. You see, my circumstantial peace robbed me of my inner peace. So today we were tested. No lyrics for you. (laughs) How did you do? We're still going to sing another song, by the way. So after some teaching, let's see if we learned something. I can tell you what it is so you can start looking it up. (laughs) I'll do that later. It's silly though, isn't it? But how many times is that all it takes? Yeah. How many times is that all it takes to just trigger you and you're out? You step out of fellowship with the Lord in that moment and you're no longer walking and your peace is gone. This is the minute by minute walk with the Lord in his peace that he has invited us into, that Jesus provided That peace we talk about too, we were invited into fulfilling the things that God has for us every day. Ephesians 2.10, that there are works that have been prepared in advance by God for you to do, to walk in those things every day. So how was your day yesterday? Were you mindful 
that God had prepared some things for you yesterday for you to do, to walk in? You know, the work that he may have had for you yesterday probably wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't to go and do some huge thing for the Lord. It might have just simply been a conversation that you had yesterday where God wanted to use you to encourage somebody, maybe somebody in your family, maybe somebody in the neighborhood, maybe somebody at the store. Who knows? God does. But this is how God operates. And this is what he has called all of us to, is that every day he says, I want to use you today. I've got some things lined up that I've got for you. Walk in it. Just trust me. Walk with me. Be at peace with me. And then you will fulfill the things that I have for you to do for my glory. Obedience to God. Hearts, minds, lives that are in step on the same page with God. Romans 12, it's presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, giving him control of every aspect of our life, saying, Lord, here I am, whatever you have for me today. I just find that when it's my agenda and it doesn't go the way I want it to go, then I get uptight because I'm grasping the way I think it should go, doggone it. Instead of saying, Lord, is this what you have? No lyrics today in church. Let's roll with it. Okay, Lord, it's all good. You're in control of this. Help me to get through this without having a stinky attitude. When we are not seeking the Lord, when we're not seeking God every day, every moment of every day, the peace factor diminishes. It's automatic. There's no neutral. We're moving forward or we're not, and we're moving backwards. Because the process goes something like this. We just begin with not staying aware of God in my life. Just going about my, my daily life. Just going about my day, doing what I do, focusing on what I'm, uh, what's in front of me. And we need to do that, but not being mindful that God is at work that God wants to use me in my daily life. Whether you're a student walking down the hall to encourage another student or a teacher or somebody else or sitting in class, being an encouragement to others, whatever it may be. It might be when you're shopping in the store and talking to the clerk or whatever it may be in your business, you're doing your accounting. Whatever it is that God has called you to do in your home, whatever the place is, God is in all of that. And his desire for his people, you, his people, is for you to be so at peace with him, so in tune with him, so on the same page with him, so aligned with him, that you know his promptings. And you're fulfilling the things that he has for you to do. And peace becomes a powerful tool that he uses in and through our lives. So I'm not aware of God in my life. Soon I'm beginning to lean on myself as I navigate my life, my own wisdom, my own skill, or whatever it is I think I've got, I'm doing my life, and God's not a part of that. The peace factor is diminishing quickly at this point. My focus becomes horizontal and all-consumingly about me. This you all will know. You all know this because we live this. This is our life. 
And our flesh, the way our flesh goes is away from God. Our flesh is a directionally determined thing in the opposite direction of seeking God. And that's the constant battle that we live in, isn't it? And our flesh leads us to destruction. Our flesh leads us away from peace. We think it, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we think that when we are in control, that we'll make our lives better. It's just counterintuitive, isn't it? I can do this. I can control my life and make my life good. Well, no, you can't. I'm telling you, you cannot. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. Because we're designed to be in alignment with God and what he is doing. And you all know this because when you're aligned with him and you're following his way and you're listening to him, you're sensitive to his leading, he does amazing things through you and in you. And they're the smallest things. Have you ever had somebody come back to you and say, hey, thanks for saying that the other day? And it was a small thing and you had no idea that it meant something significant to that person. That's God doing his thing. You know, in those moments, there is peace just all over that, isn't there? It's like, this is the way my life is meant to be. This is what I was created for. That is what God has in mind. When we realign ourselves then with God, we can rest. He is sovereign God. He controls all. He's in control of the drama of your life, every aspect of it. Emmanuel, God with us, brings peace. It means eternal positional peace as well as daily moment-by-moment peace. How about practically, though? Practical peace, 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're all about reconciliation, which brings peace, internally, externally. So how do you find peace in the midst of turmoil, attention, and conflict? Where do you find, how do you find peace? What are these circumstances? I got four things for us. Number one, first of all, be at peace with God. Be at peace with God first. And also in 2 Corinthians 5, the ambassador passage, it says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, after all that has been said about being ambassadors, the end thing says, the end little comment, the imploring is, be reconciled to God. If everything's stinking up in your life, or you've got an area of your life that there's tension, whether it's relationships, circumstances, or whatever it is, the very first thing we do is be sure that we're aligned with God first. Be at peace with God first. Now, another issue, sin issue, or a conflict, sorry, not sin issue, conflict with other believers. There's a conflict, there's tension between you and a fellow believer. What do you do about that? You seek reconciliation. Don't let it sit there. Matthew 5, 24, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Don't worship me if you're at odds with your brother. You go fix that first. Get that right and then come to me. That's an exhortation for us. Third thing, if there's a sin issue in your life, you got tension. If you have a sin issue in your life, you got tension. You're not at peace. First John 1 John 1.9, confess it. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. I love that phrase in that verse, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are clean and we are at peace. Last one, out of control. If things, there are circumstances in your life that are out of your control and there is not peace. It is somebody who in your life that does not want to reconcile. They don't want to make it right. They want to stay at odds for whatever reason. This is a problem. What do you do with that? What is your role? You can't fix it. Well, the word has so much to say. First of all, just give it to Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Give it to me, Jesus says. Because the most important thing is that you're at peace with me first. Give it to me. I will help you. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's our exhortation. Let our requests be made known to God, full of thanksgiving, supplication, and so forth. Peace will rule, and he will give it. It's a supernatural thing. It is counterintuitive, but give it to the Lord. If you got stuff in your life where you're going, man, I wish they would get it right. They refuse to get it right, whatever it may be. Give it to the Lord. Lord, I'm bringing this to you. I know that you're in control. Help me to be right with you in the midst of that. And God gives his peace. Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9.6. And his name will be called Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Breaking down the words Prince of Peace, the Hebrew word Sar means a ser, actually is how you say it. It means prince. It means ruler, chief, chieftain, official, captain, head person, the top rank. That's who Jesus is. He's the top rank of shalom, of peace. He is the one who brings peace. Colossians 1, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, this is not a small thing, you all, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That is the Prince of Peace. He he gave his life He said himself, the Prince of Peace did in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Prince of Peace, who knew he was going to give his life at the cross, that he would be scorned and suffer all that he suffered, and yet he was at peace, and I give you my peace. He modeled peace. That story of the boat. When they're out on the lake with the disciples, they're rowing across the lake and the storm comes up. It's rough and they're freaking out. Some of them had been fishermen and they know boats and they know water and they know the lake. And it was a serious situation. 
horizontally, circumstantially. And yet the Prince of Peace is sacked out. He is at peace. That story, that story, I don't blame those guys one bit. All you have been boats out on the strait. The strait is a dangerous place. These guys knew what they were facing, and it was dangerous. There's no question. You can never minimize the circumstances. Yet God promises a peace in the midst of the most dire circumstance you will ever face. Those men knew they could drown that day, that night. So yeah, they lacked peace in the circumstance. And they even going, what in the world is he sleeping for? Because he knew he's the Prince of Peace. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and they were calm. That's who he is in our life today, you all. No matter what your circumstances are, he is with you. He promises, he told us in the word, I will be with you forever, always. Wherever you are, I am with you. He is in control of the drama of your life. At any moment, he can snap his fingers or he can say something and your circumstances are done. That's not what he does. He did it in this situation. He can do it for us. But so many times he says, I'm with you. I will help you. I will sustain you. I will give you the words to say. I will get you through this. Just trust me. Look to me for your peace. And God will see us through those things. Through them. Through them, not necessarily around them. Alexander McLaren, uh, born in Scotland, did most of his ministry in England in the late 1800s, said this, Peace comes not from the absence of trouble. Peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of Christ. Peace comes from the presence of Christ in your life. Every one of these these, uh, characteristics or these, these subjects that we've been preaching on, hope, joy, love, and now peace. They come when we are in the presence of Christ. When we dwell in his presence. It's the challenge for us and the exhortation for us every day. Be in the presence of Jesus. Seek him with everything that you have. Set aside time to align yourself with him. This peace that Jesus Christ provided by his coming 2,000 years ago was a costly peace. It cost everything to him. To us, it's a free gift. It cost him having the Father turn his back on him. My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Our sin was laid on him, and the Father in his holiness could have nothing to do with sin. The Father's wrath was poured out on His Son on the cross. Jesus willingly became at odds with the Father in order to save sinners through His paying our sin debt so that we can be forgiven. It cost Him His very life. 
And this is why he could say with complete exhaustion, but with the victory cry, to Telestai, it is finished. I've gone through the storm of the lack of peace. Mission accomplished. He had completed that mission, and very soon he would return to the Father. And Jesus says to us, in his word, he says, never forget. Never forget what I did. Always remember what I have done for you. 